My sermon notes here are on page four, not one. You think we should just start midstream? Should I turn it back to the beginning? You don't, you're afraid to speak because you want to know how many pages total is it before you tell me it. Are y'all enjoying the series so far? Good. Good. And uh, that is a little bit of a trick question because I know just last week we talked about we don't come just to enjoy and to receive. So I shouldn't maybe ask you, are you enjoying it? What you meant by your answer, I know. And what I meant by that question is, are you learning? Are you being challenged? Are you wrestling with the things that are being taught and, and, and being inspired through this series? It's my prayer. It's my prayer that that's the case for all of us and that it's also enjoyable. We're in week three of our series, Worshipful. Worshipful, where we are offering God the fullest extent of our worship, or seeking to, as we also seek to live lives that are filled with worship. It's a lot less expensive than going to a gas station, and it's way more fulfilling. This is where we get our fuel for life, and we have the chance to do so once more as we receive from the word of life. I want to read for us again our theme verse for our worship series. It's Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Praise God. Next week, we wrap up this series as we get very practical about how to truly embody this living sacrifice piece, uh, to to have worship that is truly uh, pleasing to God. And so that's our hope. And so next week, we're going to be very practical about how do we actually make worship a daily, a weekly, a continual habit in our lives. So you'll definitely won't want to miss that. And then the week after, we'll start a new series. That's the beginning of July. Can you believe it? We're going to do a series called Kingdom Kids. And we're excited. That series, we're going to allow the Hope Kids, allow, we're giving them, as they should be, a, uh, the Hope Kids team, a restful month where Hope Kids will be joining us in the service. And so while the kids are present, we're going to be preaching and focusing in on different passages having to do with children within the Bible. And it's our hope to include the kids within some of that service as well. So it's going to be a really good time. Uh, Part of what we'll do is, as our, our songs, we'll sing some of our beloved kids' hymns of old. So get ready for This is the Day, for Jesus Loves Me. We'll have some of those tried and true that are just in the core of our being songs that we will be singing as well. Uh, It's going to be a good series. That will happen all through July, so excited for that. But today, we're still talking about worship. Specifically, out of that Romans passage, true and proper worship. True and proper worship. Paul writes that our living sacrifice, to live a life of living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing God, And that is our true and proper worship. And we desire, as people of God, to worship him truly and properly, authentically and accurately. 
So for the course of this message, we're going to look at the concept, then the context, and then the connection. Let's start with the concept. What is true and proper worship? Hear the words of Jesus Christ found in John 4, 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. This is the concept. This is our teaching from Jesus Christ that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. He starts by saying the hour is coming. It's now here. And so that's a weird thing to say. It's coming, but it's also here. And this will evoke something within you if you've studied God's word. It's the same type of language that Jesus uses when he speaks of the kingdom of God, that it is, it is here, but it's also not yet. It is breaking through, but it's not yet its fullest realization. But it is here. He came to preach and proclaim the kingdom of God is here. But it's also not yet. True worshipers also. He says true worshipers. That word true to me sets off some alarm bells in my being. And I don't know if it sets off some alarm bells in your being, but if there are true worshipers, does that suggest that you can falsely worship God? Is there a wrong way to worship God? Well, I dare say there is. For one, just read the Old Testament, right? It's a lot of that going on. But also, here in this kingdom that is coming and is even here now, Jesus is saying, true worshipers, there is indeed a wrong way to worship God. Look at Matthew 15 at some more of Jesus' words and teachings. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Look at this. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as if they're commands from God. That's one of those passages that stops me in my tracks. Jesus is not holding back, nor should he. He is calling out the hypocrisy within these folks' hearts. He calls their worship a farce which forces us to face our hard question. Are we true worshipers? Are we hypocrites? Is our worship true and proper? Or is it a farce? We know the hard truth that one of, one of the biggest judgments that non-Christians uh, uh, put upon Christians is that they call us hypocrites. But I know that not a single one of us here today desires to be that. Not a single one of us here today desires to be called that. None of us gave our life to Christ just to push him away. But in our faith, we've been talking about this. We can drift. We drift. And we drift without intentionality, without returning to him to worship. We drift. So if the hypocrites are those whose worship is a farce. They're the ones who pay Jesus lip service. They say all the right things. They go through all the motions. They put on a show, but their hearts are not in it. 
or they're twisting things into Scripture, you may remember a series about that, or they're not pursuing a relationship with Jesus, then we need to do all that we can to keep us away from falling into that dangerous pit, to stop the drift, to recalibrate back to true north, back to God's word, his path, his way. God is looking for true worshipers, those that worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? What does that mean, to worship in spirit and in truth? We're going to start with truth because it's easier, and then we're going to go to spirit. Easier to understand. At least I think so. Maybe not for you. Truth. This is, uh, this is where our worship, how we worship, what we do in worship, what we say, what we focus on, what we give back to God, it must conform to what is revealed of God in his word. It must fall down upon his truth and be founded in and on this solid rock. Meaning our worship, it has to be informed by who God is and what he's like. To worship God, it sounds silly, but to worship God, we have to know God. We come to know God. How? By learning about God. Our worship must be rooted in and tethered to the true word of the Lord. That's why the word of God is central to our worship service. That's why we choose songs that are rooted and grounded in Scripture. You may not know this, but we study the words of all songs prior to us bringing them here for the corporate body of Christ to sing. You might not like how it makes your toe tap, but the words are going to be surely founded on and in Scripture. And even if there's a, a, sometimes some, some, oh, what about this? We make sure if there's something in the text that's ambiguous, that we make sure to explain and express why that part is there and what it means. And if it's too complicated to explain it, we don't sing it. There's a lot of songs that are theologically close, but not accurate. We throw those out. We don't sing those here. May our, what we sing always be rooted and founded in God's word. You know, I talked a great deal about truth of God's word in a series we had recently. Let's talk about it. That was week one, uh, all about the authority of scripture. So if you want to go even deeper on this and you didn't hear that message or you want to revisit it, you can always find our messages online. They're all on our website, hopekzoo.com. You'll find it. Let's talk about it week one. But just to summarize this idea of truth, if we live in a day and age where it seems like the truth cannot be found, what is true? Is it your truth? Is it my truth? Is it Frank's truth? Is it my friend's word? Is it the news? It, nothing seems true. We can't figure it out. Except we are Christians. We're Christ followers, and we're not of this world, but we are children of God, and we know what is true. For as Jesus says in John 14, he is what? The way, the truth, and the life. And as it says in Colossians 1, 5, the good news of Jesus Christ is the word of truth. And as it says in James 1, it's by that word of truth, that is Jesus Christ, that we are given new birth. That's our identity. We know 
the truth. We know what is true. We know the word of God is true. It is our final authority. It is how we are instructed. It's how we come to know and worship the Lord. Second Timothy 2.15, Paul writes, do your best. None of us can be perfect, so do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. And look at this one, who correctly handles the word of truth. We have to wrestle with this text. We have to contend to understand this text. We have to contend to understand God, for he is true. He is our truth. To be a true worshiper, one who worships in truth, We have to know his word. We have to seek to know this word deeply and accurately. It is a foundational element to the lifelong pursuit of following Christ. Now, we have seen how painful, how dangerous it can be when people mishandle God's word. Yeah? When this word is weaponized, when it is used to promote things that were never meant to be promoted as good and right and holy, when things are taken out of context to use it to say something that it doesn't say to justify horrific behaviors and actions. Today, specifically, I think of it being Juneteenth and we think about the emancipation of slavery and how many times has this good word been twisted to promote that which is evil? We have to have to contend to be ones who correctly handle the word of truth. That's what Jesus warns against when he calls out the hypocrites. And there, 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 there's, the, there's that, there's, the, there's, there's that disconnect, and then there's the also equal d- dangerous part of just not feeling like we need to know more, that we know enough. And just not pursuing knowledge of God seriously enough. To just coast along in our faith, to not contend for the truth or to speak the truth or to stand on the truth. You cannot learn deeply of our beloved Savior through osmosis. It takes intention. It takes intention. It takes a relationship to truly worship God We must truly know God, not just as an academic. I'm not studying this for any kind of test. I'm studying this to know the one who authored it, okay? Have you ever experienced God being boiled down to just like an academic subject? I have. It's incomplete. It's like a relationship. So, Every spouse ought to be a student of their spouse, right? So I'm a student of my wife, Meg. Now, to study, to understand this being that God has gifted uh, this whole world with, but specifically me as my wife with, uh, I could just like read about her. That'd be kind of weird. I could see what she did in high school, you know, uh, what accomplishments she had, all this, all that. That'd be kind of weird. I don't want to know her academically just in that way. I want to know her, to all her quirks. 
I, I rejoice in knowing the strange things that none of you know about. That she loves to whistle, for instance. And she never stops whistling. And when I'm working on a message, trying to finish up the last little points, and it's a, she's over there whistling. I'm like, hon, she goes, I know. <laughs> she's whistling. <laughs> I want to know what makes her happy. I also want to know what makes her tick. <laughs> I want to know her favorite snacks. I want to know her habits. I want to know her dreams, all of that. I don't just want to know her so I could give you a lecture on who Meg is. I want to know her because I love her. Yeah, I know. Hey, thanks. Ten years of marriage. Many more to go. But you see what I'm saying? I have a desire to know her deeply, intimately, because, because that's what it is to love. That's what, that's what God models for us. Think about it. One of humanity's core desires that each of us share is to be known. Meg knows I know her, right? And I'm constantly learning more about her. And the God who loves and knows us so completely, so fully, he longs to be known by us. That's how we are called to know God. Compelled by a love for him with a heart's desire to know him intimately. Now we can never know everything about God, but we can know so much about God. Yeah. So do you know him? Do you really know him? Are you continuing to know him deeper and deeper and deeper? To pursue him because to know the Lord is in itself an act of worship. But we're not called to just worship him in truth, but also to worship him in the spirit. So what does it mean to worship God in spirit? This one always tripped me up. Uh, It was God suggesting, is this just like our spirit, like lower case S spirit? Or is it like Holy Spirit, capital S spirit? Which one is that? Is it one or the other? Well, to help me wrestle with this, I hope it helps you understand this a little bit. Consider Jesus' words found in John 3, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit, big S, spirit is, low S, spirit. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So, considering this along with what Jesus goes on to say after his spirit and in truth bit that we'll get to in a minute, he says, God is spirit, capital S, S. So he's talking about when God is spirit, there is no limit to God. There's no confines on God like us earthly beings. He's everywhere at all times. He's a different creature. The Holy Spirit, we read about and we know how the Spirit works. So when I read this and when I see the context, this is my interpretation, so perhaps you can wrestle with this, but this is what I've come to believe at this point in time. It's not an either or that we worship him in our spirit or the Holy Spirit. It's a both and. For those who are new creatures in Christ, our own spirit owes its existence and its vibrancy to the spirit of God. God's spirit ignites and energizes our spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit helps us become our truest selves, our most authentic selves. And our most authentic selves are worshipers of the one who created us in his image. So to worship God in spirit means worshiping him authentically, honestly, genuinely, as he has made us and our new identity. To worship him in our new identity. You walked by those waters of baptism as you walked in, and as you leave, I invite you to put your hands in and to mark yourself as a reminder of who and whose you are. Those mark us as a new identity. That marks us as a home, a vessel of God's very spirit. He moved in. And so when we are our most honest and sincere and authentic selves, we can worship him in spirit. And the spirit of God will enable us to worship God more fully. See, it's the Holy Spirit who awakens in us an understanding of God's beauty and of God's splendor and God's power. It's the Holy Spirit that stirs us to celebrate and rejoice and to give thanks. It's God's Spirit within us that when we sing these powerful truths of who God is and what he's doing and has done, that we feel something just bubble up within us. That is the Spirit within us rejoicing. It is the Spirit who opens our eyes to see and Savior all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who orchestrates these services by God's grace and leads us in corporate praise of God. This, this element of worship, the spirit element, is the heart component to our worship. The worship that originates deep within us, that flows from the heart, then is motivated by this felt love for God and this inner gratitude for all he is, all he has done as the Spirit, the Holy Spirit moves. That's what it is to worship in spirit, to feel and experience God, to, to worship him by offering ourselves, as we talked about last week, in full surrender. Say, here I am, God. Have your way in me. Because we can trust him. We can trust him. If you have kids, or you once were a kid, so we got all of you, think back to your early years. Think back to the early years. Think back to the early years. Young kids are the silliest, the most open, the most fully free, the most themselves when they're with their family. They get older, that changes, right? But when they're younger, they're just free. There's this inhibition, this freedom. My kids, they feel free to be fully themselves with Meg and I, for they know that they're safe with us. They know they can trust us. They know that no matter what, we love them. They know we know their brokenness. They know that we are broken, different for God, he's not. But that's what it is for us to worship in spirit, to be fully surrendered and trusting the one that we worship, to give him our everything, for he already knows our everything, and he deserves nothing less 
than our full selves. Look again at this passage from 2 Timothy. You remember before we talked about correctly handling God's true word. Look at it again. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Pause. We're approved not from anything we've done, but because God made a way and he is the one that did the work in us to approve us. And then he says this, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. We need not be ashamed when we come to the foot of the cross. We need not be ashamed. So do your best. Need not be ashamed to be fully open, to be fully authentic, to come to Jesus as we are, to come willing to feel, willing to experience, willing to be moved as the Spirit moves within us. We need not be ashamed. For he went to the cross fully aware of all we are. And he loves you so fully that he moved in. He dwells in those who love him. He dwells in followers of Christ. His spirit within us. So we need not be ashamed, but instead open the floodgates to be fully open to allow the spirit to do what the spirit's going to do in and through our lives as we worship him. That's what it means to worship in spirit. This surrender, this openness, embracing all the emotions and the feelings that the spirit stirs within us. But we're not just called to worship based on our emotions or feelings because there's the danger in and of itself. No, we have to understand the one we worship. So we must also worship in truth. And as we learn more about God and we come to truly know him more, then we are naturally compelled and emboldened to worship him once more also in spirit. We are called to worship him in spirit and in truth. That is this teaching. That's this concept that Jesus is is honing in on. And now we're going to zoom out for just a moment to consider the context of Jesus' words regarding true worship before we hammer it home with our connection. So Jesus said this line about true worshipers are those who worship in spirit and in truth. He spoke those words. Before I say that, this is from John 4. Okay, 1 through 45. I'm not reading it in its entirety. Your homework is to read it in its entirety and allow the Spirit to stir and move within you. You can follow along as we go here, but you'll see in John 4 that it's the middle of the day, hot, scorching day, and Jesus is resting at a well. Scorching hot, no one in there, no one really would come to draw water in the middle of the hot day unless you were a social outcast, unless you were rejected by society, unless you are trying to hide. Only then would you come in the middle of day to try and get your water. And so at that time, a woman comes, a woman who has lived in known sin. She's had five husbands and she's living with a man, another man who is not her husband. And so she comes in this hottest part of the day to get her water. And what do you know? Jesus is there. What does this tell us? Jesus comes for everyone. 
everyone, the rejected, the outcast, the bottom of the barrel. We need not hide from him for he came for you, not because you are perfect, but because he is perfect. And so this woman comes, likely quite embarrassed to see this man. And what else? He's a Jewish man and she is a Samaritan woman. And Jewish men, Jewish anybody did not associate themselves with Samaritans because they were a mixture of Gentiles and Jewish folk. And so Gentiles and Jews alike did not like or talk or interact with Samaritans. In fact, you could go around this way to get to where Jesus was going, but it's a long trek. But the most faithful of Jews would go out of their way to avoid Samaria so as not to encounter Samaritans. And yet Jesus is sitting there when this woman comes and she is embarrassed, but she's probably trusting that Jesus will follow the status quo and not say a word to her. In her embarrassment, I can get my water and I can go. He will not speak to me. And so then Jesus speaks to her and he asks her for a drink from that well and she is shocked. She is surprised. When we come to worship, be prepared to be surprised. You don't know what the Spirit's going to do. You don't know God's ways. You don't know his agenda. But I can tell you it's a lot better than ours. One of my favorite things to pray, it's a little bit of a scary prayer, but I like to say surprise us and delight us, God. Because when we're open vessels, it's almost guaranteed both those things will happen. Come expectant, for the Spirit has a work to do in you. And we know not his ways, but we do know from our pursuit of knowing him that his ways are good. And so Jesus and this woman, they begin to dialogue. They start talking, and he's getting to know her, and she is getting to know him. And in this, he is, he's engaging with her, he, just like he invites us as we worship to participate and to be a part of what he is doing. He doesn't just sit there and lecture her. It's not a one-way conversation. He engages with her, and he asks her to engage with him. He doesn't say that, hey, I, by the way, I know everything about you, so you don't have to say anything. No. He asks her questions. He meets her. And as they're talking, it is evident that Jesus knows everything about this woman. Right? He's Jesus. He knows it all. He is indeed God. He knows all of it. And yet he still invites the woman and all her brokenness to come. Drink of living water. That was his invitation. If only you knew. Come, drink this living water. God already knows all of our brokenness. He already knows all of the junk, and yet he still says, come and drink of this living water. Jesus is saying, you're searching to be satisfied in all these other things, but those cannot quench your thirst. That is the equivalent of drinking salt water. In the moment, it might feel like, it might seem like it is quenching our thirst, but what is it doing? It's only leading to further dehydration and death. That's what happens when we live in this world and we drink of this world, but not of the living water that's only found in Christ. But he invites us to come and drink of the living water, for it's in him alone that we might be satisfied. This woman, she's seeking the truth, and Jesus is providing for her a deeper truth than she can even fathom. And in so doing, Jesus does not allow her to hide. He tells her, go, get your husband. You can almost hear him hiding his smirk. She responds, I have no husband. 
and then she stops. I have no husband. And there's all this other detail, important detail she is leaving out, right? I have no husband. She tries to hide. She tries to withhold the truth of her brokenness, which we can relate to. It's hard to pull that stuff out. She tries to hide the truth of her past, the truth of her regrets, her pains, her burdens, the source of her shame. But Jesus confronts her and speaks what is true, even when the woman tries to flee from such a painful truth. He says, you're right in saying you have no husband. In fact, you've had five. The man you're living with now is not your husband. Jesus called out the salt water in her life. When we worship in spirit and in truth, we don't have a choice. We will be confronted with the ugliness of sin. More specifically, we will be confronted with the ugliness of our own sin. We'll want to run. We want to escape. We feel exposed. But Jesus confronts us. But knowing him, the key is he confronts us out of love. He confronts us to free us. He confronts us to give us the living water. Like the woman will want to try and save face and withhold, I have no husband, but he confronts us to free us. And in that vulnerable moment, when we're exposed, the woman, she tried to shift the topic. It says, you know, let's talk a little bit about some theology debates between Jews and Samaritans and, and talk about worship a little bit. And that's when Jesus shares about true worshipers being those who worship in spirit and in truth. And you can tell she's close to getting it because she, she says to him at that moment, you know, I know the Messiah is coming. And I know that when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And it's almost like it's a question of saying, can it be? Can it be? Please let it be. Is it you? And Jesus says, I am he. She believes she believes. She just lived out a case study of transformation that came through this exercise of worshiping in spirit and in truth. So what does she do? She goes now no longer ashamed, now unashamed, into the village to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Pastor Curry wrote it well in his devotions in April that the outcast was recast. And what is she now? She's no longer drinking that salt water. She's drinking that living water. She is an evangelist pointing to the truth of God, proclaiming to those that shunned her and shamed her, I have no shame for I have been free. Praise God. Spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. That's our connection. You see, there's this head-centric part of our worship that all of us has as we come to know God and to learn God that sometimes some of us want to just stay up here. We want to just have an intellectual expression of our faith. Um, you might say, I don't do emotions. I have a hard time feeling all this stuff. I have a hard time uh, 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 surrendering. You might just say, I'm Dutch. Right? <laughs> right? Right? It's part of how some of us are just crafted. And there's a strength to that and a dangerous part of that. 
say you don't do emotions, I don't believe you. You do. It's in you. I see it. You might not sway, but there's something stirring in you. I know it. I know it. I can see it. And the other side is that heart-centric part of our faith where I don't need to learn more. It's just me and Jesus and my coffee and here I go. And I'm going to worship and that has a good beat and I'm going to sing and I do believe these songs, but you're learning your theology more from the songs rather than the source of the theology of those songs, his word. And have you ever experienced that when it's an emotional-driven faith where you're just looking for your next emotional spirit hit? right? And that's incomplete too. I got my worship music. I'm good. I'm out. That'd be like if like you all just left after our opening worship set. Like, hey guys, wait. We're not complete yet. That's why we do both every service. Again, think back to that first fully surrendered moment when you gave your life to Jesus. You knew something of God. You had it up here. You knew something of God. Something clicked internally. Jesus Christ died for my sins. And if I don't believe in him, my penalty is death. It's hell forever, separation from God forever. But because of what he has done, because of his unstoppable, unending love, he went to the cross for me. I have been set free. If I believe in him, he forgives my sins, and I get to rejoice and live with him forever. You came to know that. But you didn't just know that in that moment. You surrendered yourself to him. You felt it in your heart, in your being. The spirit was having all the alarm bells go off in your life saying, here I am. Surrender. Both your head and your heart. And then move to the act to your hands to say, I'm yours. I'm yours. You need both. So Jesus said to the Jews from John 8, who had believed him, if you abide in my word, remain in my word, remain in my truth, know me, know me, know me, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And when we know the truth, what does it do? It sets us free. Spirit. And in truth, the knowledge of God will lead to the freedom of God, which allows us to fully worship God. That is the true worship that God is looking for. As John Piper explains, it's a strong affections for God that are rooted in truth. Strong affections for God rooted in God's truth. And that's what we're called to. If you have a bulletin on the bottom, we want to help equip you with this. We have a little thing there. It's just major takeaway. We want to encourage you to fill that out. What's the one thing you sense stirring within you through all these words? And yes, we're over, and thank you for being patient and being engaged. But what's that one thing that you are feeling? Because write it down, because we can forget like that. It's one of the most humbling things for pastors, for preachers, to see the statistics of what's actually retained from a message, it's abysmal. And yet, we preach faithfully because it might just be one word, one sentence, one passage. It may be the whole word. It might not even be anything we say, but something the Spirit prompts in you from something else in service. But I trust you have a major takeaway. Write that down. 
And I encourage you to keep a log of those. Keep a separate journal where just Sunday takeaways. And just every Sunday you write it down and then look back on a year's worth, five years worth, ten years worth, and you will see how God has been present to you and has honored your faithful worship of spirit and in truth. And just like the woman, once we are freed, we will long for everyone we know to also be free. Her life and our lives have been forever changed. Your life forever changed so we can worship fully as we seek to know our God more fully. Praise be to him and him alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you pray with me? Almighty and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all you are and that we have the immense privilege of getting to know you. We thank you that you delight in us so fully that you long to, to, to be a part of our lives every moment of every day. We thank you that you have... <laughs> you, you thought that not even making the way from, from, the, from the death to life was a big enough gap. You said, I'm going to move in. And you came as close as you possibly can and dwelt within us. Lord, guide us and lead us as only your Spirit can. Stir within us everything we need so that we may worship you fully surrendered and fully in line with your word. We come to you just as we are, Lord. We are humble by our brokenness, and we are humble that you put us back together. So we praise your name. We continue to offer ourselves as our living sacrifice of worship this day. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.